0: Um, And happy Mother's Day, of course. What an incredible day. Um, I am thankful that I have a fantastic mother, had a fantastic, I I didn't want to say had, because she's still with us, and I am a good boy, and I will call her today, all right? And I will tell her that I am thankful for her, and I am on a regular basis. She was wonderful and incredible, and uh, Mother's Day does, to me, feel a little bit silly, okay? Because is that all you get one day? Honestly, is that it? With everything that you do, one, that that feels like it doesn't, it shouldn't even count. Like mothers deserve a lot more thanks and gratitude than just one day. So I know we've got the one, but let's take it past that, okay? There is no way that we could possibly thank moms for everything that they do in our life because they do everything in our life. (laughs) You're welcome, Brenda. All right. I mean, how could how could you do it? How could you thank them? I heard I heard someone mention this week, like, why is Mother's Day on a Sunday? A day when nobody does anything anyway. Why can't why can't Mother's Day be like on a Wednesday and actually give them a break, for goodness sakes? You know, on a Thursday. Thursday's the hardest day of the week, right? Is you're worn out and you're not quite there yet to the weekend. But there's just no way that we could possibly say thank you adequately to the people in our life, mothers or otherwise, that have had such a huge impact. And so we can't fill that void completely, so let's just do the best we can and make sure that your mother or the motherly figures or whoever it is that's in your life really feels how valuable they are today. And it's a beautiful day. These these moments that we have of gratitude are really powerful. Because if, if we're not careful, and I, I tend to be this way, I tend to walk through life focusing on the things that are wrong more than on the things that are right. I tend to get frustrated about the things that aren't happening the way that I want them to happen or the ways that I'm not being supported or whatever it may be, rather than being thankful and appreciative of what is happening well. And these kinds of days are, are opportunities to snap us back to reality to realize, man, well, there are so many people that care for us and love for us and do so much. And we need to walk through life with an attitude of thankfulness. And when we have an attitude of thankfulness, it makes everything so much better. When things When things are looking up rather than when things are looking down. And so today is one of those days. And I think it's actually perfect. This wasn't planned, but it just so happens that where we're studying in the book of Romans... We've gotten right to the end of the letter. We have one week left after this. All right, one week left. And yes, we did fly through Romans, even though it took us a little while. In the passage that we're going to read today, it's actually a couple of passages. Um, we're going to read from Romans chapter 16. Paul finishes his letter with some thanks, with some recognition of people. And I think this is such an interesting passage to talk about because, like we talked about last week, when you get to the end of something, you know, the pastor says, and I'll close with this, or, you know, someone starts giving thanks at the end of a speech or something like that. We tend to check out, and it's easy in the book of Romans or any letter that we read in Scripture, when they get to sort of the salutations and the benediction and the close, it's easy to check out a little bit. And this passage that we're about to read, If we weren't committed to teaching all the way through the book of Romans, we probably wouldn't teach this passage because it's a list of names, a long list of names, people that Paul wants to recognize and express thanks for. And so we're going to read through them today. And what a perfect day to do this, a day when we're in a position and a mentality of gratitude anyway. And so we're going to read through, and there's going to be a bunch of names here. And they aren't Americans. And so the names are weird, okay? And I, am going, I don't speak Greek fluently. I know a little bit. I don't speak it fluently. And I'm certainly going to butcher some of these names. So I was actually thinking this week, the better way to handle this might be to just bring a teacher up here. Because at the beginning of every year, you got to figure out names anyway, right? So you're like pros at weird names. And names are just getting weirder, by the way. They really are. Um, but, and this is totally a side note, but I think the uh, the list, the annual list of most popular baby names came out this past week. I saw a couple articles about it, and I think Olivia is still number one uh, among girls, has been for like seven years or something, so you got that. And then number one for the boys is like Hudson or something like that? William? Liam. Liam, that's it, yes. All right, good, thanks Gary. That's right, it was Liam, believe it or not, which I haven't even met one. But anyway, so besides Neeson, I've seen him, but um, so... Uh, or Gallagher? Yeah, anyway, there's, there's a few. Anyway, but they're not babies. Um, but the first one, and I thought this was interesting. Totally doesn't relate to what we're talking about today. Just names. Um, but of the top 10 female baby names, nine of them end with an A. Which I thought Olivia, Emma is like second. Like, they all end with A's. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I'm um, just putting off having to go through this list of names and, uh, and butcher them in front of you. But I'm going to do the best that I can. Um, so Romans chapter 16, he's going to go through, and I think we're going to see some significance here that we might not normally see as we're just reading through Scripture. And um, some of these people we know things about, and some of them we know absolutely nothing about other than the fact that their name is right here. And so we'll talk through some of that as we go. All right, Romans chapter 16, beginning of the chapter. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord... In a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So, um, Phoebe, presumably, we don't know this, but presumably, based on the way this is formatted, Phoebe was most likely the courier of this letter. So Phoebe was the one who was entrusted with this letter to leave where she was, Centria, which is a a port city just east of Corinth, where Paul was when he wrote this letter. So he hands it off to Phoebe, and Phoebe has the honor, she is entrusted to take the letter to Rome. I wonder if Phoebe, at that moment, had any idea the gravity of what she was doing. And certainly would have been an honor. Paul was obviously well-revered and, and was, a, was an apostle, and so to carry a letter of his would have been a great honor. But I, I wonder if she understood on some level or any level the significance that the book of Romans would be, the letter to the Romans. One of the most, not, not to rank or anything, but one of the most significant and impactful books in the New Testament. A beautiful letter, a clear explanation and display of the gospel and what to do with it. The good news shared with the Romans who would at some point, now after going through a lot of persecution, would at some point become the most influential Christian church in the entire world. I wonder if she understood. But when she was handed that letter, she was entrusted. And she was going to a place that presumably, based on the way he introduces her, she didn't know anybody there or didn't know many people there. And he's saying, here's a stranger coming to you with this letter. Receive her. And they would have read this after they read the letter, by the way. <laughs> it's at the end, right? But she was going to this foreign place or this strange place, but she wasn't going to a foreign place or a strange place because these were brothers and sisters in a different place. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about being a, a child of God and being a part of this family of faith that we're a part of, that we have brothers and sisters all over the world that we've never met before. And that we can receive each other and, and in a way that is like family, even though we may have never met. So he commends her to them. And he says, whatever she needs when she gets there, help her. Help her because she's been a helper. Okay? She's been good to us, so be good to her. It's a beautiful show of unity, which he's been talking about so much. And then in verse 3, he says, greet. And I want to pause on this first word. Because he says, Greet. 15 times in the passage that we're going to read. Each one is a little bit of a different section, and he puts different names after this. Greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. Now, we don't know this, but it's possible. Remember that in Rome, there was not one centralized church at this point. There were multiple house churches all over the city that were led by different people or tenement churches. And it'd be 10 to 20 people in each one, a couple of families in each one, not many people at all. All right. It's possible, since he dictates here 15 specific, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, it's possible that these were the leaders of 15 house churches in Rome and that he was recognizing each and every one of them. We don't know that, but it's certainly possible and seems likely. All right. So he starts here, um, verse three, greet Priscilla and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also all of the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, he takes a little more time with Priscilla and Achilla than others. They were probably the most uh, prominent and well-known leaders in Rome. They were probably the people who the letter was taken to by Phoebe. Phoebe most likely took it and gave it to Priscilla and Achilla. This is not the only time in Scripture we read about these two people. They are all over the book of Acts. Because they were really close friends with Paul in different places where he was. Now, presumably, again, we don't know some of this history. We know, we know bits and pieces of it, but not all of it. So we have to presume a bit. Presumably, Priscilla and Achilla originally are from Rome. But most likely got kicked out of Rome when Claudius made his decree that all Jews and Jewish Christians had to leave the city. We talked about that earlier in the city, or the earlier in the series. There was problems, and they were causing disruption. And so the emperor Claudius kicked everybody out. And when Paul writes the book of Romans, or writes this letter to the Romans, they have just all come back to town. So presumably, Priscilla and Aquila were in Rome, and then they got kicked out of town by Claudius. And we know uh, that at one point they were in Corinth when Paul came around on his second missionary journey. And he lands in Corinth, and he connects with Priscilla and Achilla, who are, by trade, tent makers. And he wants a way, Paul wants a way to make a side hustle, okay? So he doesn't have to presume upon the church to give him any money. And so he wants to make money on the side. And so Priscilla and Achilla teach him how to make tents. And then Paul is able to use that trade in order to support himself throughout his ministry. When he finally leaves Corinth and he goes to Ephesus, Priscilla and Achilla go with him. So they travel to Ephesus with him, and then when he leaves Ephesus, they stay there and help build the church. And in fact, they, uh, they challenge, there's a, a guy who's named Apollos who's out preaching, but he doesn't quite fully understand the gospel. And so the scripture tells us that Priscilla and Aquila pulled him aside and explained the gospel more completely to him, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> they were like, hey, you're doing a great job. Now let's get a few things squared away. And then you can go back out there. <laughs> so that's what, that's what they did for him. They're incredible people. And then when Rome opened back up, Priscilla and Achilla went back to Rome and started a house church. And most likely was the largest of all of the house churches in Rome. So they're very significant. He loves them deeply. And when he says greet, he's not telling, that's, that's a little weird translation thing. He's not telling them to greet Priscilla and Aquila. He's sending his greetings to them. He's recognizing them. And he's going to recognize a bunch of other people here too. All right, now we're in the middle of verse five. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia. Now, Achaia, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but Achaia is basically the southern end of Greece, um, or they would have called it Asia, but or that would be the transliteration, but that's confusing because we think of something else when we think of Asia. So he says he's the first fruits of Achaia, which means he was the first person that Paul led to Christ in that region. And so he's very significant, and now he's back in Rome. Verse 6, greet Mary, who labored much for us. We don't know which Mary. There's a bunch of them in the Bible. This is, we don't know which Mary he's talking about, but it is a Mary, or uh, in Hebrew, Mariam, who's in Rome. But she worked and labored much for us. Verse 7, greet Andronicus in Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Okay, so Andronicus and Junia are most likely a couple, a married couple, and he says they're they're his um, a countrymen. Now, when he says that, tip, or typically what he's saying is they're Jewish. So these are these are not Gentile believers; these are Jewish believers, and he said they were actually in Christ before me. So it's possible, and the the apostles know them; they're aware of these two. And they were in Christ before Paul, which means they've probably been believers for 25 years, might have even potentially seen the resurrected Jesus in their lifetime. And so they're very significant. He loves them, he wants to recognize them. Verse 8 Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Now, Aristobulus was a grandson of Herod the Great. King Herod the Great apparently had a church in his home. Verse 11, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Again, a Jewish believer. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Now, possibly this means that Narcissus was not himself in the Lord, that Narcissus may not have been a believer, but there were those in his house who were. Verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Now, I think it's interesting. uh, There are seven women named in this list. They were very significant in Paul's heart, and his life, and his ministry. I think that's... (laughs) Valuable to point out on Mother's Day. He always says they worked hard. (laughs) He points that out over and over and over again. These are three of the seven women that are named. Uh, Trifena and Triphosa, most likely sisters, and based on the naming structure and the cultures at the time, probably twins, which I think is interesting. We've got a lot of families in our church that have twins in their family. Here are some twins, potentially, in the Scripture. But women that meant a great deal to him. Verse 13, greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, we don't know. There's another Rufus named in Scripture. We don't know whether it's the same guy, but potentially it is. And if it is, what that means is that Rufus is the son of Simon the Cyrene. Simon the Cyrene is the man who was tapped on the shoulder to carry Jesus' cross when he couldn't anymore. He was being taken to Calvary, and he, couldn't, no lo- he could no longer carry his cross, and they grabbed a man out of the crowd named Simon the Cyrene. And the scripture tells us in Mark 15 that he is the father of Rufus. And so it's possible that this is the same Rufus who is now in Rome, whose father carried Jesus' cross. And he says, and his mother, which would have been Simon's wife, of course and his mother and mine, meaning that, meaning that Rufus's mother had been a mother to Paul, which I think is beautiful, beautiful. My voice is cracking all over the place today, by the way. Anybody notice that? You, now you are. If you didn't before, you're going to notice now. All right. Um, verse 14. Greet Asyncretus, who was a little off balance. But, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobas, Hermes, And the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, again, probably husband and wife, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. I love this list because even as Paul is sending this great message of the gospel to the Christians in Rome, It's not just, he's not just on his pedestal. He's not just on a stage. He's not just preaching to a crowd. He's thinking of individual faces, people that he knows, people that he loves, people that he trusts, people that he wants to encourage. He's looking at them, and he's saying, hey, I know you're in the middle of a difficult place. I know you were kicked out, and now you're back again, and you're trying to establish this church, and you're trying to see the gospel take root, and I want you to know that I see you. I see you and the work that you're doing, and keep going. I greet you, greet one another, care for one another. He says, greet each other with a holy kiss. This is something he says over and over and over again to, to multiple churches. It seems it was the custom at the time for them to greet each other with a kiss that would show trust and, 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 and love and unity, and that's a beautiful thing, and we're not going to do that. But they did it, so it's like, it like a good, solid handshake at the time. All right, that's not one we're going to adopt. But anyway, he instructs them to greet each other with a kiss. And he makes mention of the whole spectrum of people. He talks about Gentile believers. He talks about Jewish believers. He talks about men. He talks about women. He, he brings everybody in. And this is ultimately his purpose with the gospel, is to draw them into unity in the good news that all of them to together have come to faith in Jesus, have come into the family, of Jesus, or the family of God by faith in Jesus, not by their works. That they're growing into the image of Jesus, not by works, but by the Spirit. And that they are together as one now. And to see that unity and love encourages Paul. And he wants to continue to see that. Appreciate and value one another in the work that they're doing. And then a little bit later in verse 21, we're going to, kind of, we're going to grab another piece here and, and jump for a second. But in verse 21, he talks about those who are thinking about them and loving them and sending greetings from them. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker. And Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. Timothy was his son in Christ. And there's a lot about Timothy in Scripture. Timothy, my fellow worker. And Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. Lucius was from Antioch, uh, Jason was from Thessalonica, and Sosipater was from Berea. So he was grabbing other leaders of churches from other areas and their support for him. I, verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Some of you are like, I thought Paul wrote it. Well, Paul dictated it, but Tertius wrote it down. Paul didn't have good eyesight. So there's a couple of places where Paul writes himself, and uh, for the most part, he dictated his letters. And so he let Tertius put his own little greeting in here. Verse 23, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Gaius was one of the leaders of the church in Corinth, and he was one of only two people that Paul baptized in, in um, Corinth. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And actually, most manuscripts of this actually end the letter of Romans right there at that verse. Although some have the additional benediction, which we're gonna, we'll read next week. Here's what I see when I read through this list. Because when we think about ministry or we think about the apostles, we tend to think of individuals. We think of the person who was out front. Even today, when you think about churches or you think about ministries, you tend to think about the person who's out front. You know, like you think about this church over here, and you say, oh, that's so-and-so's church, and you name the pastor of that church, right? That's the way we tend to think about ministry because that's the person who gets the light, who has the stage, who has the whatever, the notability or whatever. But every ministry, no matter where it is, requires a team of people A group of people that are working together in the Lord, that are committed to the same thing and united. And the most effective ministries, the most truly effective ministries, have an army of people who are on the same page working together, serving, and everybody doing what they are called to do. And Paul here calls out a whole list of people. He could have probably keep going on. And the fact that Paul, as great as he was as an apostle, could put down such a list to know people by name and to encourage them in the gospel. And that builds fellowship. Encouragement builds fellowship. On a day when we celebrate encouragement or we try to encourage mothers, encouragement builds fellowship. It draws us together. And so I want to do something today that is a little abnormal. I want to take the rest of our time in the message, and I just want to thank some of you. I'm have a little hard time getting through this today, to be quite honest with you. I want to thank some people in our church who have given their lives to this fellowship and mean so much to us. And first of all, I, just, I, I have to put this, claim. please don't be offended if your name isn't on the list. All right. I had a system, okay, I had a method, and I did my best to get as many as I could, but I'm not perfect, and I have a terrible memory. And so I'm going to do the best that I can. I just want to thank you because in order for our church to be what it is and do what it does, there's no way one or two or three or four or five people could do that. And so I want to thank so many of you. Particularly, I want to thank by name our elders, our trustees, and the overseers of our church. And just give you one little one little bit about each one of them. And I'm starting here alphabetically. Um, Jess, Jess Allen, my wife. Jess is not only my wife and a mother, but an elder in our church, a ministry director, the most remarkable woman I've ever met, a connector of people, an inspirer, and a get it dunner. <laughs> if you need something done, she is the one. And that's all I'll say for now. I want to thank Ben. Yeah, hold hold your applause. We got a long list. I want to thank Ben and Lauren Collins. Elders in our church. Faithful group leaders in our church always loving and compassionate. And when, uh, when things happened yesterday with with Mark and Taryn, they were the first ones. They were on it. They were there. They were in the hospital room with us, with Taryn and with Mark. They took her home. They drove her home last night, cared for her and for her children. Unbelievable. I want to thank AJ and Marie Ebersoldt for their dedication and commitment in our church. They are elders. AJ leads our setup team. Marie is our administrator, and she leads Carolina Kids and does a thousand other things. They are some of the hardest workers I have ever met in my life, and they love you deeply. Ray Hardy, who most of you have probably not met, but he's the pastor of the Point Church in Belmont, and he's been one of our overseers from the beginning. He helps me. As a pastor, he has the highest motor I have ever seen in a human being. He never stops. And he is passionate about the unity of the church in his community and uh, beyond. I thank Carol Herndon, trustee for our church. She's an insightful, big picture thinker. And she is kind and she is gracious. I want to thank Thomas and Renee Jacobison. They're elders in our church. Thomas leads men's group on Saturday. They are fearless, and they are bold, yet they are also patient and wise, and that's a tremendous combination. I want to thank Reed Jones. He's a trustee for our church, he is an encourager and an optimist. If you need a pick-me-up, talk to Reed. He always puts people ahead of the process, and that matters. I want to thank Ron Laughlin. He's, the again, an overseer for us. He's the pastor of URE Community Church. Ron is one of the most kind and generous people I've ever had the opportunity to know. He's full of wisdom. And I'll tell you that yesterday when we were in the hospital room, and I was there with Taryn. Taryn and Mark were members of Uari Community Church before they were members of our church. And we were standing in the hospital room, and Taryn spun around on her heels and looked at me, and she said, can you please tell Ron? And so I did. I sent him a text, and he immediately called. And he said, you know anything that you need, absolutely anything you need. And I was like, well, Ron, you work as a funeral director, so we could talk about that. (laughs) He's an amazing, amazing man. I want to recognize and thank Aaron and Kayla Plummer. They're again elders in our church, lead outside hospitality team for us. Aaron and Kayla are remarkably faithful. They've been through one of the hardest things that you can go through as a parent and have walked through it with grace and kindness and love for the Lord and love for each other. They're quite an example. They are resilient and they are steadfast. I want to thank Nathan and Amy Prater. Nathan is a trustee. Amy Leeds is the director of our family center. And they are group leaders. They have a group on Wednesday nights that meets. They are wise. And they are generous. And they are rooted in the truth. I want to thank Jeremy and Monica Sides. They're elders. Jeremy's a group leader. They're leaders in our church. They were one of the first ones to raise their hand and say yes when we told them that we were going to be starting a church They're committed, they're reliable, they're always present in the moment, and they not only love the Lord deeply, but they love you deeply as well. I wanna thank Dennis and Laura Welch. Again, elders, group leaders. In fact, they lead the group, Jess and I are in. (laughs) They are caring like I've never seen. Always willing to open their arms, to open their home, to open their heart to whoever has need. They've given their lives, even in their careers, to serving and caring for people who are in the hardest spots in their life. And not everybody would do that. I want to thank Stephen West, a trustee. He's been a trustee basically since the beginning, perceptive and insightful. Patient and decisive. And again, I thought the same thing as I thought with Reed. Always puts people above the process. We're thankful. Now, there are a bunch of other people that serve in our church, and I don't have time to do all their names, but I want you to see their names. And so we're going to put their names on the screen for you, and I want to talk about these groups of people and what they do, what they do for you, what they do for God, what they do for the gospel, for our group leaders. Many of them are elders or trustees or other things, but we have others that are group leaders in our church. They give their their time. They open their homes. They prepare. They think about the discipleship of people in their group. They, They love them with all of their heart. And I'm I'm just, in the situation that we're in right now, Taryn and Mark had a ton of friends and, and a ton of support already around them. They built that into their life. They were wise enough to do that. But I have seen people go through situations like they went through and they didn't invest themselves into putting a group of people around them that would support and love and encourage and that they could trust. And then when something happens, it's too late. And then you're going through things alone. Don't do that. Don't let yourself get into that position. We have people in our church that have opened their arms up and they're willing to receive you into their life to help you grow, to challenge you, and to encourage you and to be there for you when things happen. The group leaders are incredible in our church. To our care team, who's very active and very active right now. Our care team, led by Ashley Sheely and Rhonda Smith, who when things happen, Whether that's good or bad, it could be a baby being born, it could be the loss of someone, it could be a lot of things. They step right in to take care of whoever it is. And that's all happening behind the scenes. A lot of you probably don't even see that. But they commit themselves to providing food or child care or lawn care or whatever it is that the person needs to support them through it. It's an unbelievable ministry of our church and a beautiful thing, and it's happening all the time. To our prayer team, again, a group that you may not even know is operating. The prayer team, besides praying for things all throughout the week, they meet every single Sunday morning. Before service, they get together in another location to pray for you and to pray for the service, to pray for everything that's happening, to pray for the needs that they know that are going on in our church and to pray for the service itself. They're unbelievably faithful, and I've noticed a significant tangible difference in our church since the prayer team started meeting together. It makes a difference. For our setup team, without them, this wouldn't be like this, and the kids wouldn't have all the things that they have. They get here early. They work hard. They put their hands to it to make it just right for you when you come for church faithfully. For our inside hospitality team, that's everybody who's inside, is led by Carrie Watts. Inside hospitality team who serves you out in the lobby, who takes care of all of your needs, brews the coffee, and does all of the things just so that you can feel at home when you're here. The outside hospitality team that's led by Aaron and Kayla. There's eight people on that team. I had numbers here. I forgot to say it. All right. We got 16 group leaders. We have 16 people on the care team. We have 11 people on the prayer team. We have 13 people on the setup team. We have 28 people on the inside hospitality team. We have eight people on the outside hospitality team. They're taking care of everything outside and making sure. We also call it the safety team. Okay, They're making sure everybody is safe and taken care of. The audio, video, and lighting team is led by Jeremy. Ten people who... They don't want you to know they exist, okay? They like being back there where nobody looks at them. Turn around and look at them real quick. Turn around and look at them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, Ben's covering his eyes. Uh, they they do. They work so hard to master the technology, figure out all the things, just to provide something for you here today, where you don't think about them at all, but your your attention is turned toward God. To the band, we have eight people or 18 people actively serving in our band who get up here not to be on stage and to be in front of you but to be in front of the Lord and to set an example of what worship and faithfulness looks like and to try and create an environment where all of us together can worship and come to the Lord's feet for the Carolina Kids team led by Marie there are 71 people in our church who serve with the kids Not all at the same time, but they serve faithfully and actively in the church. And I know I talk to a lot of people, and I'm a little bit this way, to be honest, who are like, that's not for me. <laughs> you know, I love my kids. I love my kids. Give me 12 strange kids in a circle. I am not here for that. Okay. But we have a ton of people that have said, yes, I am here for that because they understand the value of investing in and caring for and loving the children of our church. And then last but certainly not least, our youth group and those who serve with our teenagers. And it's led by Jesse and Kayla McDonald. And there are eight people who actively serve here. And it's a beautifully vibrant ministry to see the way they're impacting kids, the way these uh, the way the kids are connecting with each other and being encouraged. And they're just fantastic. And they're always coming up with new ideas of things that they could go and do, which is fantastic. All of these people, all of these people have given of their their time, their energy, their money, their skills, so that we can be a family, so that we can serve each other, so that we can have an impact not only on each other, but we can have an impact on our community. And what a beautiful, beautiful testimony that is. The same way Paul looked at this list of people and said, I recognize all of you for the work that you're doing in the gospel. I want you to know that we recognize you for the work that you're doing in the gospel as well. And we are so thankful for you. And so I want to take a moment to pray and express this thanks to God. And then next week we'll finish up the series. Um, But then we're going to sing a song together. And during that song, we're going to uh, prepare ourselves to take communion. Because communion is a beautiful representation of the unity that we have together. When we eat the bread and recognize Jesus' body, which was given for us, and we drink the cup and we recognize his blood, which was shed for us, and together in unity as a family, as the children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ, we take communion together and together say, we believe in our Savior, Jesus. And so I want to say a word of prayer, and uh, once, uh, once the prayer is over, then we'll have you come down to the front, and there'll be some people stationed down here. They'll dismiss everybody by rows to come get your stuff for communion, and just do that while we're uh, playing and singing the song together. All right, let's go to the, the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love and kindness that you have given us the opportunity not only to be called your children, but to be called brothers and sisters in Christ. That if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we trust in him and his death on the cross in our place and his resurrection. We put our faith and trust in him for salvation, not in our works, but in him that we become your children. That you receive us into your family, that you forgive us our sins. And that we can begin a life of walking with you, walking more closely with you and being transformed into the image of Jesus. Again, not by works of the law, but by faith and following the spirit. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the brotherhood and sisterhood that you give us in Christ. To give us a family, a chosen family together. To love and support and express gratitude and thanks for on Mother's Day, we think about our biological family. We think about our mother. And for some of us, that's a, that's a fond thought, and we're deeply grateful for her. For others, the situation is different. And they may not be able to look at a biological mother, may not know who she is, or may not have an example of one that they would have chosen. But thankfully, Lord, you bring us into a family together by faith, where we can love and support and encourage each other, where we have, may have physical mothers, but we also have spiritual mothers, caretakers. And so we thank you so much for all of that and the opportunity that you give us to support one another, to stand in the gospel together, to encourage each other in faith, to draw each other further and further into truth, to set examples for one another of grace and love. And so Father, forgive us for when we lose sight of the blessing that you have given us in this family. Forgive us for when we get focused on what isn't happening or what we don't have. When you have given and blessed us with so much, And so today, God, we pray that you wash over our hearts an attitude of thankfulness, appreciation, love, connection, unity, so that we understand who you are to us, but also what we are to each other. So we thank you for that today. To know that the day is coming, Christ, when you will return. And the hope that we have will be complete and physical and tangible. To know that even as we go through hard things here, all of those hard things are temporary. So we walk through them together. We walk through them together and we look forward to the glory that's coming. So Lord, as we prepare to take communion together, solidify this unity in our hearts. Not only our personal faith and belief in Jesus, but a display of group faith in Jesus now that together as a family, we are telling you we believe and we trust and we are thankful. We're thankful for how you have served us, Jesus. Not that we deserve it, not that we demand it, but that you offered it willingly. Greater love hath no man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. And you have laid down your life for us. For that we are thankful. And we not only ask you to rule in our hearts today, but we look forward to your kingdom and your return as we wait together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with us.